Josh Gambo, a school counselor at Talmadge Elementary and the Talmadge High School men's tennis coach, is our next guest on Between Two Blue Devils. Now, he and I sat down not long ago, and we had a fantastic conversation. Before this conversation, I knew very little about this young man. After this interview, I couldn't wait to share him out with all of you. This guy, he is awesome. Now, I reached out to a few people familiar with Josh, and I asked about him. Talmadge Elementary Assistant Principal Nicole Coyan had this to say about Mr. Gambo. I could not do my job without him at Talmadge Elementary. He is always available, always willing to help out in whatever capacity is needed. He's an advocate for students and staff alike, and he has helped us create and nurture the caring and supportive school culture that we have here at Talmadge Elementary. Now, later in the interview, Josh and I chat about the power of being a coach. He loves coaching. Listen to what one of his tennis players had to say about Coach Gambo. Kevin Bender said this, I admire Coach Gambo and how much he works and how much he puts into us on and off the court, how much he helps the team, how he helps us build up new skills to help us win, and how he treats us like his own students after he leaves his main job. All of these inspire me to be just like him and learn new ways to help others, either with tennis or out in the real world. Coach, thank you so much for all of your time. It is my honor to introduce Josh Gambo to you. He has an incredible story. He is another reminder that everyone has a story, including you, and that story is worth being shared. Enjoy this next episode. Welcome back to another episode of Between Two Blue Devils, and I have the privilege of sitting here before a young man by the name of Josh Gambo, who, quite honestly, I don't know a lot about. We've just recently crossed paths, and um, you reached out and wanted to share your story on the podcast, and it seems like ever since you reached out, then I start running into you in the weight room all the time, but uh, so I'm really, really excited to get to know who Josh is. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so it's been a busy day. Um, for those of you who don't know, Josh coaches a sport. Josh, tell us about the sport that you coach. Um, I just recently took over as Talmadge uh, varsity tennis coach uh, last season. So we're headed into the second season uh, with me as the head coach. Okay, and he just ran in from uh, a big workout because we have a couple inches of snow outside right now. But so you're you're sweaty and you're worked up and you're ready to get at this. You ready to be peppered with some questions? <laughs> I'm ready, even though I'm a little out of breath still. <laughs> <laughs> so, but well, Josh, thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down with us. So. Um, you work at Talmadge Elementary. Tell us what you do at Talmadge Elementary. Uh, so like you had said, I am the elementary school counselor. Um, I work with kindergarten through fifth grade. Uh, Leanna Doberman, who is on the podcast, is my uh, partner counselor. And uh, you know, we just do our counseling thing over there at the elementary school, working with kids individually, um, small groups. Uh, when we're blessed with enough time, uh, we step into the classroom and do some classroom lessons. Um, but we're usually running around with fire extinguishers, you know, just <laughs> spritzing out the little fires and putting band-aids on, on all the little problems, you know. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but my wife is a school counselor. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, at Coventry High School. 
and um, she uh, she runs around with her fire extinguishers as well on a daily basis, putting out those types of fires. So, what kind of fires do you experience at Talmadge <laughs> Elementary as a school counselor? Uh, from the biggest ones to the smallest ones. So you know it can be small friend problems. You know, so and so is being mean to me, or you know, Billy pushed me at recess, and now he doesn't want to play with me, and I don't know what's going on. Um, or unfortunately, we do have some of those higher profile ones where, you know, maybe somebody is talking about hurting themselves mm-hmm. um, or we have to get children's services involved on some things. Um, and that's something that a lot of people probably don't realize about Talmadge. Like, we've got all the same problems that everybody else, everywhere else in the world has. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of the gambit of what we what we work through on a daily basis. Yeah, I think oftentimes when you when you think about a suburban school like Talmadge, um, you oftentimes think that sometimes we're immune to those types of problems. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, kids are kids. Problems are everywhere. They do not, um, there's no, they don't discriminate, right? The the uh, the problems are hitting our kids big time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there has been, never been more of an important time than now to have a school counselor such as yourself and your your colleague down at the elementary building. And so you, you K through five. K through five, yep. All right, so how long have you been a school counselor? Um, we are wrapping up my fourth year here in Talmadge. Um, and then before I got to Talmadge, uh, I spent two, roughly two years down in Southern Ohio, um, Springfield City Schools at Lagonda Elementary. It was a K-6 building, and I was there about two years. So that's where I started my official um, full-time career. All right. So how did you uh, how did you get into where's your desire to be a school counselor come from? Uh, you ever heard anybody that says you know be the person that you needed when you were younger? Uh huh. So for me that that kind of really resonated with me. Um, not to say that I didn't have a great upbringing. You know my parents are fantastic. I've got wonderful grandparents that are still living. A really solid older brother. Um, but I just for whatever reason you know felt like I needed that adult connection um, and I didn't really have that Mm -hmm. so uh, throughout my schooling I went to Lake High School so I'm not super far away okay Um, I got some opportunities to to step into some leadership roles I was a camp counselor when they went to Camp Wainoa okay um, two years and that's kind of when I realized like I wanted to work with kids but it wasn't until almost the end of my undergraduate graduate like graduate studies um, that I realized, like, I want to be a school counselor because I had some really strong professors that kind of knew me a little bit better maybe than I knew myself, and they pointed me in the right direction, and it's been awesome ever since. Where did you go to school at? Um, I did both my uh, undergraduate and graduate studies at Walsh University in North Carolina. So your undergraduate work, what was your degree in and in your undergraduate? I double majored in... Um, psychology, and then uh, family studies, sociology. Okay, nice. I actually have, um, I'm certified in psych and sociology. Okay. I started, you know, I had many different um, career choices while I was in college. I'm like, I I declared this is my major and that is my major. And one of them was psychology. And then I started dabbling in some sociology. Then I switched to history. And because I had enough credits, I, you know, I was certified to, to teach psych and social which is what I finished, you know, when I was still in the classroom, AP U.S. History and then Psychology, and, and I loved it. I thought for for a few minutes about 
continuing that path, but it's a lot of schooling. So then your psych professors and sociology professors said, hey, we kind of get this vibe from you. You've got this gift. Uh, and they started encouraging you to look at school counseling then? Yeah, they really kind of were like, hey, have you heard that we offer um, mental health and, um, and school counseling as a master's studies program here? We think you would be really great at it. We kind of see you as like a leader. Um, I took so many psychology and sociology classes because that I really wanted to to hone that craft, you know. Um, so I was with the same three or four professors, and I don't know if they all got together and were like, "Listen, this is what Josh needs to do." Um, but I had a couple that reached out to me and said, "You know, we think you would be fantastic at that. You should apply." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I knew I wanted to work with kids. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do post undergrad." graduation um, and hammering out my master's was the exact path that I needed. Wow. So what do you like about psychology? I know this is like a general question, but I, I you know, I, I just had a conversation with another uh, individual about an hour ago and we started dabbling in uh, the world of psychology. And I just kept thinking about these different attributes of the, the study of psychology that I, I love and I've grown so much from. So I know it's a little bit of a weird question, but for you, what, what, what about psychology appeals to you? Just the human brain, not necessarily the, the, the brain itself, because I got the opportunity one time in one of my classes to hold an actual brain, and that was a very like kind of creepy yeah. experience. Um, I didn't love that, but just understanding that the brain is like a supercomputer mm-hmm. and that just because my brain works one way does not mean that your brain is going to work the same way and it is astonishing at how complex you know the connections that are made and how we hold on to information and you know where trauma is stored and where the emotions are stored and mm-hmm. how those things link up i mean i could talk to you about it <laughs> up and down but um i've been so far removed from the actual psychology piece um, and have been so much more immersed in like those little fire pieces mm-hmm. and like solution focused counseling um, to put out those small fires and put those band-aids on that I unfortunately have not like kept up with yeah. a lot of the psych and social stuff that I had learned about, but it's still it's still an interest of mine. Sure. So when I so probably the last four or five years of teaching psychology, I really started to shift towards more of an emphasis on the brain Mm -hmm. in studying the brain because it's just amazing how the more of an awareness you have of what part of your brain is responsible for what and what actually affects a particular response or the development of that region you know it just changes everything right physical fitness your diet hydration uh, you know just the amount of sleep all of that stuff is just connected And uh, do you ever find yourself having those types of conversations with your little ones? <laughs> um, here and there. I mean, it's lost on a lot of the younger ones. And I do have some, we have so many gifted kids. And I, so those are some of my favorite kids to work with. Not that I have anything against them, not as gifted or, right. you know, academically inclined kiddos. But um, I've had some incredible conversations with some very gifted kids, either academically or ones that I just feel are, you know, emo- more emotionally inclined than others. Um, so we've dabbled a little bit. You know, we talk about, you know, the prefrontal cortex and how that's not fully developed until you're like 25. So that's pretty much the bulk, the bulk of, you know, where we where we land with, with that. And you experience that too up yeah. here, I'm sure, at the high school because, you know, we're still talking about 
kids that were considering almost adults, if not adults, by the time they graduate, mm-hmm. and their their brains aren't even fully developed yet. Yeah. So we just have these expectations sometimes. I think that don't match maybe where they are in their makeup of their brain. Yeah, it's it's funny. I have, oftentimes would have to preface our conversation by saying, you know, just because we're going to learn about your prefrontal cortex and how it isn't developed and how teenagers make bad decisions. <laughs> This cannot be your excuse exactly. when you go home. Don't say, oh, yeah. Well, Mr. Horner taught us that we don't make the best decisions, so I did make the best decision. You right. Know? Yeah. But but it's uh, it is interesting. You know, we we have teenagers who are um, changing and evolving at such you know at a rapid rate, and and we put them in situations where they've got to make adult decisions without the adult you know brain development. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think in particular about like the phone. And the the access to information that they have, and you probably see kids K through five who are walking around with this window to the world that they really shouldn't have at this particular point, mm-hmm. and yet it's it's um it's a very real problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see some uh, you know social media or like texting things that are going on outside of school with kids as young as first, second, third grade. You know, they're having issues with their friends, and then we're being mean to each other on texts. And then, uh, you know, they'll come in and say, Mr. Gander or Ms. Solomon, like, so-and-so sent me this text. Look at it. It's so mean. You know, we don't we don't want to see the text. We obviously want to hammer out, like, how can we fix this mm-hmm. issue? But I can't, I can't, you know, control what's going on the second that they leave our, our right. school. Um, so that is definitely something that we see that's bleeding a little bit into even the elementary, which to a lot of people may be surprising. Um but, you know, to us, that's just another day in the life. Yeah. So about an hour ago, I had this conversation with with uh, a leadership coach who uh, who's coaching me through uh, my new role. And we were talking about the, the example of a triangle. So at the very top of the triangle is me. Mm-hmm. And then on the one side, you've got uh, the individual. And on the other side, you've got the behavior. And we were talking about how... A lot of times, and the word you used earlier is a word that that he uh, used. A lot of times we go, you know, we have the top and on on the left side. A lot of times we go down to the bottom where you've got the individual and the behavior and we immerse ourselves in that. Mm -hmm. And we've got to stay away from that because we can't control that. That's what's going on outside the building. That's going on, you know, when when the kids are out and they're on their phones. But when they do come in, we can talk about our relationship with them and how they're responding and then we can educate them on the other side okay here's the phone and here I am let's talk about how to handle it the right way or how to handle conflict or how to handle um, you know nasty texts or whatever and we can we can coach them there but what we can't do is we can't immerse ourselves in the the, the student and the behavior right mm-hmm. because it's going on outside of our control and we've got to figure out how to kind of teach and guide our, around that. So it's interesting that you you would talk about that, and that's that's what that's what's kind of ma- I'm mauling over in my mind. How do we teach our kids to be the best Talmadge Blue Devils that they possibly can be? Yeah, you know, Mr. Booth says it every day: be Talmadge Gold, safe, responsible, respectful, and engaged. So that's something that we're trying to very passively, yeah. <laughs> you know, hammer into their heads. Yeah. Um, but it's so important. I mean, a lot of the development that the kiddos have comes from school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we're the end-all be-all, but we have so much time with these kids. And if we can start hammering in those foundational pieces, we'll start seeing a decrease in those middle school referrals, those high school referrals, yeah. 
and hopefully like we can really you know make a make a push to having um i don't know i don't want to say that anybody's dysfunctional but more actively functional and participatory like adults as yeah. we push them out of here you know think of that portrait of a graduate yeah. right yeah for sure it is. It's encouraging to hear that because I, I know you see it and we see it. We see the re, the residual of a few years away from normal school, especially during the formative years for some of your kids. You know, them coming back. You know, this year full time status is kind of culture shock a little bit, mm -hmm. and um, with it comes a lot of trauma and a lot of well, a lot of a. Uh, like a struggle on how to handle the emotions of of the demands of a school day and the length of time and sitting in a, in a classroom or even dealing with larger numbers of students like you're dealing with down there right so it, how do you handle some of that trauma and some of that counseling I mean, what's it what's it look like on a daily basis for you it's different every day yeah. as you can imagine i'm sure your role is different every day too um you know, we are starting to work with small groups again. Um, our MTSS coordinator, Jen Stewart, has yep. been fantastic at helping us um, get some of those pieces put in place. And as a former school counselor, like, she's a really, really awesome piece to yeah, the team. That absolutely. She brings so many things to the table. Um, so she's helped us get some small group time. Um, so I've got two small groups um, at the elementary school a week. And then Leanna has two. And then both of us are actually fortunate enough to have interns this year. Okay. So we've got four, essentially, you know, four counselors, I guess, depending on how you want to <laughs> classify them, three, two and a half, whatever. Yeah. Um, but we really have been able to, to hit the small groups. Um, a lot of it's just individual stuff. Um, and like I said a little bit earlier, we, we try to do those classroom lessons, but it's a little bit harder to dedicate mm -hmm. that time just because we react to so many um, different things. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, every day is it's a journey, man. I yeah, you know it's I, it's got to be the exact same way it is here. You you sit at home and you're like, okay, here here's my to do list, <laughs> and then you walk in the door and you don't get any of it done, and then at the end of the day you're like, where'd my day go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to uh, Brandon Berry, my he's the intern that works with me. Um, I was telling him today. I said, look, we've got eight things on the list. We've crossed two off. We've got four more things added to the list. <laughs> But we've been hammering out things all day long. How does this happen? And he just, you know, shrugs his shoulders. He's like, I don't know, but we're just going to keep on doing our thing. That's and that's awesome. all we can do. It's great that you guys have two interns down there. I, I know when I was in the classroom and I would have a student teacher, I absolutely loved it because suddenly my classroom was cut in half and there's more individualized attention. And, you know, there's two bodies walking around and they're able to, to navigate problems a little bit easier. And at the same time, you're pouring into the future of our profession, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's cool that both of you are are guiding young minds down there. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. This is the first time that I've gotten the opportunity to have one. Um, and it's just so funny because, so Leanna's intern, Kate Weaver, um, she had done her practicum, which is basically like field the field observation stage for a, a teacher. Uh -huh. um, so she had done that the second semester last year, so she was a little bit more affiliated with the building and kind of knew a little bit more. But when she came in, everybody was like, man, Kate is like Leanna's mini-me. And then Kate said, hey, Brandon is a classmate of mine. Would you be interested in having an intern? He kind of wants to get the full scope. Um, and he wants to learn from a male as well because he did his practicum with a female at a high school. Yeah. Um, and he came in, and I met him uh, prior to us accepting him as the intern at the elementary. And he looks like my mini-me. Like, <laughs> 
He's a, a bearded, mustache, long hair guy. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So, so it's we a walk, match made in heaven. Yeah, we walk around and it's like it's like mom and dad, Josh and Leanna, and then the the kids, Kate and Brandon, and we just we're the counseling squad over there. That's too cool. That is awesome. So you uh, so you, by day you are changing lives as a school counselor, and then last year you made the decision to take over the tennis team. Mm -hmm. And so now you are coaching a varsity sport here at the high school, which I know is kind of exhausting. Yeah, so where's your love of tennis come from? You know, it probably goes all the way back to, gosh, I would say like my elementary age uh, time. My parents had a group of friends and they were in just like their league. And I had this itty bitty little racket that I would go out and just hit with. And, uh, you know, we did that for a long time. And then kind of drifted away from it as you know, as kids get older and parents get older, they stop doing things, and then you know you just stop getting together. Um, but my older brother uh, had tried out, I think maybe his sophomore year, didn't make the team, was really motivated, made the team his junior year, and then he and I had started playing uh, that way. My freshman year, his senior year, we were playing. He was on varsity, I was only on JV at that time, but um, he and I kind of grew up playing together and then um, I didn't mention this earlier when we were talking about Walsh but I spent four years or three years on the varsity team at Lake um, and then was blessed to have the opportunity to play in college when I was at Walsh. Okay and do you still actively play now? Um, you know it's funny after I had taken over uh, last season uh, there was a guy that was playing at the courts by himself on our senior night so I went over to get the last of the balls and he was just serving. I was talking to him a little bit, um, and I started hitting with him over the summer. Um, I have some guys that will text me here and there, and they'll ask me to play, but I'm not actively playing in any kind of leagues, but something that I would definitely be interested in if my body <laughs> holds up. Well, have you have you transitioned from tennis to pickleball yet? <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend that lives in my neighborhood, actually. He teaches at the STEM school in Akron. Um, and he he actually runs a, a pickleball club over there. And he was like, Josh, listen, you got you got to come out and, and try it and play it because I can't play tennis with you, but I can play pickleball with you. So we've gone out over to, to Lions and uh, and have played there a few times, and it's a blast. I, I actually really like it. That's yeah, that seems to be all the rave now. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, my mother-in-law plays over at the Rec. Okay, just religiously, she doesn't miss it at all, and. Um, but yeah, it seems like the the popular sport. So, you said you graduated high school from Lake. Then, mm -hmm. did you did you know Adam Booth at all, or the Booth family? Uh, I didn't. I think he I think he came into eighth grade, maybe, or or whatever building that was at the time. I can't even keep it straight yeah. now because they just did a whole bunch of renovating over there. Um, but I think he came in either the year I left or maybe the year after okay. I left the the middle school. Um, so I was, I, I unfortunately did not know him, but <laughs> I'm, I'm blessed to know him now because he is amazing. Yeah, he's, he's an amazing leader and I'm sure you guys swap lake stories all the time. <laughs> yep. It's a lot of the time it's, Hey, do you, do you remember so-and-so? And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I went to church with them or I lived down the street from them or talked to them, knew their family. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of history that we can play off of from back then. So what was Josh Gambo like as a high school student? <laughs> Josh Gambo was a very shy, introverted kid. Um, I grew up playing basketball mostly, 
Uh, going into my freshman year, I was only five feet tall. I was a little like chunky, overweight kid. Um, so I played my freshman year, and I was always like hearing, "You're too short. You got all the talent that everybody else has, but you're too short." And that was really like disheartening to me. I did not have a coach that said, "You're you're short, but we're going to work with it." Mm. Um, it was always like, "That's why you're not playing," uh, which was really frustrating. And fortunately for for me on the tennis court, you know, height isn't the most important thing. Obviously, it can help, but um, you know, I, I I'm athletic. I can run. I'm fast. So that worked for me on the tennis court. Um, small group of friends. Um, my friends weren't like your athletic kids. We were like the gamer kids. Um, I didn't really love the whole like jock scene kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. I was just more of a quiet homebody, kind of kept to myself because uh, I don't know. I wasn't treated very nicely when I was in high school. Mm. So I uh, going back to being the person that you needed when you grow up. Um, I think in high school, too, at some of those points in time, it would have been beneficial for me to have somebody to kind of go and, and talk to, to with some of those concerns that I had. Yeah, it's isn't it interesting, you know, when we look back in retrospect and we, we think about who we were and the things that we went through, I, I know for me that was that was a motivating factor for me as well when I finally honed in on on education as, as my profession calling. Um, you know, I wanted kids to know that I knew what they were going through and I wanted them to know that empathized with them and I wanted to make sure that the insecurities I dealt with you know that they could conquer them and they're you know they're they bring value uh so it's it's neat to hear you talk about that in high school what were your favorite subjects um I loved chemistry I had a chemistry teacher uh Meredith Duncan and she actually uh got her license to be a school counselor too. She's still, to, to what I understand, um, teaching in the classroom. Uh, but prior to maybe three or four years ago, I would check in with her from time to time and we would just kind of give each other quick updates. I actually interviewed her for one of my counseling classes okay. uh, during my master's program. Um, so she was a fantastic teacher. Um, I went in as an undeclared science major when I first started college. Uh, and, and learned very quickly that chemistry was not as great as Mrs. Duncan had made it out to be. Um, so I, that's when I switched, but um, loved chemistry. Um, I was pretty into math. Uh, and then I'm not one to love writing, but I've always been told that I was very good at it. Hmm. Um, and then my psychology teacher too, I, I really liked her and that's kind of why I, I dove into psychology after realizing that chemistry wasn't it for me. Okay. The power of a teacher, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. that's awesome. And so, you know, you mentioned that as a coach, like when you were playing in basketball mm -hmm. and you didn't have a coach that looked past your uh, what you didn't have and emphasized what you did have, It do you oftentimes reflect on that and kind of tie that try to conquer that in your own coaching? Yeah, so actually today, you know, my guys, uh, to be honest, have been a little bit frustrating. Um, you know, they're high school boys, right? Mm -hmm. So our communication's always not there, or, um, you know, sometimes we just make a bonehead decision or we say something, you know, stupid, that's gonna hurt somebody on the team's feelings, and we're not unified. Um, but today, as we're talking about all of those things and the concerns that we had, 
I said to them, you know, a good coach holds his players accountable. Mm-hmm. A great coach has players that hold each other accountable. Mm. So I obviously want to be a leader and a mentor and be able to coach them, um, you know, through the flaws in their game. But I'm not going to look at you and say, Dude, you're, you're five feet tall. You're not going to make it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about what I was told back then. Hmm. You can be however tall you need to be in tennis. There's a professional player that has beaten top players that's five six, five seven, mm-hmm. and then there's a guy that's six ten that hits bomb serves, and that's about all he can do, yeah. you know. Um, so I try to be everything that my past coaches were not. Okay. So I, I think it's amazing that that is your goal, but then it also saddens me because I, you know, past 25 years I've coached and I, I just think that coaching is one of the greatest vehicles to impact lives. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people lose sight of it. Uh, coaches lose sight of the, the privilege that they have of pouring into young people and helping them become better versions of themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And so to hear you say that, you know, it, it does kind of sad me. I, I hate for anybody to have an experience with a coach that was less than, than desirable. Yeah, I, I don't love having negative conversations, but truly when I say I, do, I don't think I had a coach at, at really any sport at any time in my life that, you know, was really positive and believed in me and really tried to highlight the things that I was good at mm-hmm. as opposed to things that I was not. I mean, it, it stunk. Like, it, it, it did not feel good. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm very determined to make sure that, you know, I... I try to build relationships with the guys. Mm-hmm. I, again, I just told them today, you know, an hour ago, I love my kids to elementary school. Those are my babies. And you guys are not babies like kindergarten through fifth graders are babies, but you're still my babies. Mm-hmm. And I've been fortunate enough to have strong men in my life that tell me that they love me. Mm-hmm. And I love you guys. Like yeah. you guys are going to be mine from now until you graduate. And then you're still mine after you leave. Yeah. And I, I want to keep those connections with those kids. Wow. I I love hearing you say that you tell them that you love them because uh, for a lot, of, I mean, you know this, for so many students and, and for many of our young men to have another male figure to look at them and say, man, I love you. I get mm-hmm. you. I love you. I'm going to hold you accountable, but I love you and I'm not going to be bailing on you. I mean, that's that that is that's fantastic. So did you coach anything before your time here at Talmadge? Um, so during my master's program, I was able to uh, stay with the tennis team, and I was a graduate assistant coach for two years um, during the first two years of my two-and-a-half-year master program. Um, so, you know, I coached my past teammates, but at that point in time, they were like, I don't have to listen to you. Yeah. You're not the head coach. You're just like another member of the team, whatever. Um, so I really tried to start, you know, my, my coaching identity there. But, you know, when you're a year away from the age of those yep. kids, it's really, really difficult. And at that point, they're not kids anymore, mm-hmm. of course. But so I did that for two years. And then I took a six-year hiatus, five-year hiatus from tennis altogether. Mm-hmm. Stopped playing, nothing. Um, and then I was throwing around, like, reaching out to um, Tim Mosier, who was a teacher of mine when he was the athletic director. Yeah. Um, he was a teacher of mine in high school, but I was thinking about reaching out to him and saying, hey, do you need any help with tennis? And then sure enough, my first year, that email went out, JV tennis coach needed. 
I would better believe I, I think I was the first and maybe the only person that <laughs> reached yeah. out for that position, but it, it sucked me back in and it has been so much fun to get back out there and, and play. That's awesome. Yeah. So what do you do as a young coach? What are you doing to, to grow as a coach? Um, actually, so Tony Matos, who, uh, is my assistant coach, mm -hmm. uh, fantastic person, fantastic coach. Um, he was getting a racket restrung at the Towpath Tennis Center, um, uh, I don't know, maybe two months ago, and he got to talking to the owner, and the owner every year does this coaches meeting, conference kind of thing, bring one of your players. So we were there with maybe, I don't know, 20 to 30 coaches, and maybe 15 players uh, about a month and a half, two months ago, um, learning new drills and you know, how do you hone this particular skill? How do you work on footwork? So we did that and we're implementing a lot of those things. Um, but I'm just trying to do new things. I'm mm -hmm. trying to lead by example. I'm sweaty today because I was busting my butt working out <laughs> with them in the, in the gym yesterday. And I was doing it in, uh, in the, the Townsville Elementary basketball gym today. We were just doing like a cardio core a workout and, and Tony Matos leads the charge on that because he's, he's the fitness guy between the two of us. Um, but I just want to show them like we are a team, we are a family. I I'm battling right next to you. Mm. So I love that mindset. Yeah, Tony, it it's all I just love watching him down there putting these workouts together. Mm -hmm. And you know, he was doing the same thing with the swim team. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's interesting when I look at him, and then there's Coach Mack who's down there as well. And there's you, you see a lot of similarities in their their workout regiments but then there's a lot of differences mm -hmm. and so i've enjoyed that while i'm down there just kind of watching and learning and stealing different exercises um the reason i ask about your growth as a coach or what you're doing to grow is because you know the quote that you mentioned uh, like how you know you'll hold them accountable but a team is ne is more powerful when each player holds himself accountable mm -hmm. and holds each other accountable it just kind of reminded me of some of the leadership and coaching books that I've read. I mean, do you do you read? All, are you a reader or do you, do you listen to podcasts? Mark, or? I wish so much with everything within me that I could read. Like, <laughs> I can obviously read, but I just hate it so much. Yeah. Uh, and, and as an educator, that probably sounds crazy to people. But I will sit down and I've tried, you know, people say, you're, you're just reading the wrong things. What are you trying? Find something that you're interested in. Have you looked at this author? And... I've tr I've tried it all, and normally what happens when I open up a book, I'll read the same page ten times. And mm -hmm. I have no idea what's going on, or like if it's later in the evening, I'll fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so so I unfortunately don't get into reading too much. Um, the most podcast listening that I have done, honestly, is your is your <laughs> podcast. You know, I love hearing the the stories that maybe I don't know from mm -hmm. from some of my colleagues. I just listened to Anne's because you just finished that yeah. one. I listened to Tony Ann's all these. Um, I listened to Adams and Leanna's. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of who else. Alan Miller. Yeah. Yeah. You hammered out about all the guys that work at Talmadge Elementary. I think <laughs> there's I think there's only a couple left. Well, it's uh, I I absolutely love it too. Um, hearing everybody's story and just learning more about people. And uh, you know, not long ago, I I shared this. I, I've shared it on a podcast or in conversation. But you know, I was listening to another podcast, and Todd Durkin was the interviewer. And the the individual he was interviewing, he asked her why Why do you do your podcast? And she goes, Well, I'm going to be honest. I do it kind of for selfish reasons because. 
when I sit down and I hear people's stories, she's like, I fall more and more in love with those people, mm -hmm. you know? And for me, that's kind of, you know, I sat down with Mrs. Canuti and, and she's played such a big role in my kids' lives and, and here in Talmadge. And by the time we're done with the, with the interview, like I'm just more in love with Mrs. Canuti. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate her, her so much more, you know, more than I already did. Yeah. And, and so it, it is, it, it's a lot of fun and I appreciate you being an avid listener. Um, I get the whole not reading thing. You know, a lot of people think that I do read a lot, um, but I've never, I'm, I've not always been that way. You know, I used to be very similar to you in that in my earlier coaching days, man, I was full go. I'm on the court. I'm running up and down the mm -hmm. court. I'm playing. I'm getting sweaty. I'm exercising with them. But then for me, injuries kind of started setting my knees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when, when life began to take a different change, I kind of had to for lack of a better phrase, kind of reinvent myself because I was limited in one area, so I had to focus on another area. And just something snapped, and I just started reading. And um, and and so and it, it's been a more recent phenomenon. But, man, during high school, college, I never never read. I hated it. As a matter of yeah. fact, jokingly tell everyone, when I was in high school, if you would have told me I was going to be a teacher, you know, I would have said, you are insane, mm -hmm. you know. But um, life life changes. Uh, so what other hobbies do you have? Um, you know, if I'm interested in a story, maybe I'll just try and find something interesting to watch on TV. Mm -hmm. um, I don't watch TV too often. Um, you know, if I'm just at home hanging out, I just like solace yeah. sometimes. You know, that first year coming back from COVID and before we put up the glass windows in the elementary, it was just so loud. Yeah. And I'm right outside the music room and I get that echo from the cafeteria I've got this vent that sits in my office that blows air, so it's white noise. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to listen to this little person <laughs> you know, telling me about all these things. And I'm not one to really feel overstimulated, but that year, I would go home and for hours, yeah. not turn on a light, sit on my couch in the dark, and just decompress. Yeah. And just have this, you know, monologue in my head. Um, but <laughs> now when I'm not doing that as much, I like just like to play games um, on my Switch or on my Xbox. Um, I run sometimes. I'm trying to get back into it. I've always hated it, but it's the surefire way to get myself into shape. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just I spend a lot of time with my uh, with my parents and my grandparents. Um, they have a pool, so I'm over there all the time in the summer over at my grandparents' house. So yeah, those are the the few hobbies that I have. So you mentioned that you like to play games. You're a gamer. What, what's your game of choice? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I'll get a lot of hate for this because people will say that it's a kid's game. But I am a, still a very avid like Pokemon person. Um, if it's on my Xbox, uh, I just kind of dove back into like first-person shooter games. Um, so I don't promote violence, but <laughs> you know sometimes that can be an outlet to, to, to be able to experience that behind a, a TV. Um, so a little bit of Call of Duty, maybe some Halo here and there um, to, to throw it back, you know, about 10, 15 years. But yeah. So do you ever uh, walk around and see one of your kiddos with like a Halo shirt on or whatever, and then you start getting involved in all the game jargon and the kid, like your cool factor goes through the roof. Oh, yes. And and actually, so I didn't, I didn't mention this because I wasn't thinking about it, but one thing that I really have enjoyed lately is anime. Um, and the kids in my building love anime. Hmm. They love My Hero Academia. They love Demon Slayer. They love Death Note. 
some of these things not what I would consider appropriate for elementary school age kids. Um, but the storytelling in some of those shows is so good. Hmm. And it can be a little bit corny here and there. But um, I am like a total anime geek, too. Yeah. So did did the anime attraction begin before your kids or because of your kids? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I've all, like I said, you know, I watched Pokemon when I was little and like Yu-Gi-Oh and those kinds of things. And then there just seemed to be this surge of really, really great stories in anime. Um, when I first came to Talmadge, uh, I had moved back up from down south. Um, I was living with my best friend Tyler and his wife. And when I moved in there, four-month-old baby, they had four cats. I had one cat. And Tyler is like the biggest gaming anime nerd that exists in my life. And, you know, a lot of the time that I would spend with him or with, you know, all of them as a as our little cat weird family <laughs> um, was watching anime or like YouTube things. So, you know, he kind of helped me get a little bit even more connected to the kids without even realizing that, that he was doing that. That's cool. That's re- that's really cool. I-, I love the fact that um, those things appeal to you, and then it turns into connections mm-hmm. at the school. And and uh, you know, we were uh, a couple of us were having this conversation about how how important it is to make those connections before you've got to do the counseling, mm-hmm. right, or deal with like addressing behaviors if you if you can make the connections and show the kids that you you get what you know you you understand where they're at that you you appreciate the same things and you find value in what they do then when you start talking about the tough issues it makes it a lot easier yeah i mean if they walk in and they've got like a dragon ball z shirt on i'm like who is it goku regita who do you like better that tells me everything i need to know about that kid you know what i mean so they're like wait how do you know this so so yeah i mean it really does kind of break the ice because for whatever reason, too, sometimes when kids come into my office, they're like, am I in trouble? Mm. Like, I'm the counselor. Yeah. Like, the only reason that you would ever be seeing me if you're in trouble is because you are immediately doing something disrespectful in my presence. Yeah, I'm not calling you because you're in trouble. I'm calling you because I can't help. And that's something that Leanna and I really try to drive home at the very beginning of the school year. You know, we do one lesson in every classroom or every joint classroom. Here's who I am. Here's how you find me. Here's where my mailbox is so you can write me a note. Mm-hmm. Here is our QR code for our online form if you don't want to write a note um, or if you don't want to, you know, pop up to our office and see if we're busy. Like we really try to let the kids know, here's, here's where I am, here's who I am, here's what I do, here's what you can expect from me, mm-hmm. and, and lay that groundwork right at the onset of the school year so, um, you know, they're comfortable coming to us. I, I love that so much. And, you know, and I think about, I think back to your, your, comment earlier about how you're trying to be for them who you didn't have in your life and the more times you can just repeat that message and say i'm here for you and the more times you can connect with the kids and let them know that you know you value what they value and that you have an open door policy and an open ear i mean that it you're gonna just cut off so many issues Mm -hmm. and you're gonna be able to help them uh I, I just, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Talmadge, honestly, um, not that you asked this, but Talmadge kind of was a, a, a lifesaver for me. Um, you know, I had some circumstances that moved me from the Canton area down south to take that position. Um, I ended up putting myself in 
you know, an apartment where it was just me and my cat, and I was three hours away from my whole entire support system. Mm-hmm. And I was in a very difficult district, poverty-stricken, drug-ridden, um, not very many nuclear families. Mm-hmm. So we had kids with grandparents, aunts and uncles, with cousins, um, a lot of really sad circumstances. And um, I could not have lasted probably more than one more year there hmm. and wanted to continue doing what I'm doing just because I was burnt out so quickly. Um, and when Shelly Monachino called me, I just remember sitting in the car <laughs> and going, I, I'm so excited to get back home. Um, I immediately made connections with the staff. Uh, there's a running joke that you know all the guys in the building are best friends, me and Tony and and Alan, you know, being the non-administrative people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all the all the girls are like, yeah, you guys are gonna love each other. <laughs> and we were like, why? Because we're guys. And they're like, well, no, <laughs> but but yes, you know, like that, that that's the one thing that we all have in yeah. common. So if if the four, if me, Tony, Alan, and then Dylan Cedar, our art teacher, are ever found. You know, in a cluster, you know, we kind of make a lot of like manly, like grumbling noises and they're like, ah, football and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, all the girls get a kick out of that and they think it's so cute, like when we hang out outside of work. Um, but those connections that I made and just being able to get back to, you know, my comfort area close to my support system, yeah. um, Tom has really helped be the driving force in, in bringing me back. And I am so incredibly thankful that I ended up here because wow. I've made so many great connections with, with staff. So you mentioned that Shelly reached out to you. How did you know Shelly? Well, no, so so I had done my interview. Oh, okay. I had, I had driven up, you know, three hours. I did my first interview. Um, you know, they said, if, if we're interested, <clears throat> we will, um, you know, reach out to you within the week. I don't know if they were really just on the ball and wanting to, wanting to, um, finish the interview process or maybe I don't know if they like me that much but uh, I had, was planning on leaving the, I think it was the day after my first interview and Shelly had called and said hey we'd like to have you for a second interview in like the next day or two hmm. so I stayed an extra day or two um, did that second interview and then um, maybe three or four days later I got that phone call and I was like oh my god I feel like the the weight of the world was lifted wow. off of my shoulders. Yeah. Wow. So it's you are definitely where you belong. It you mentioned all those names and it's it's funny when I think about you and I think about Alan and I think about Tony. Uh, I I every time I see you guys, you are smiling, you're laughing. There's joy. Uh, I did actually hear you guys chattering about something during one of the during the PD day. And you guys are, I, I, I was like, man, that's that's some camaraderie over there. Those guys, you know, kind of yucking it up over there in the corner. It's it's pretty cool to see. So let let me um let me ask you this, what what inspires you? That is a tough question that I was not prepared for. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the the little ones that I work with, you know, inspire me. Um, as weird as that may sound, because I feel like people look at me to inspire them, um, but just just seeing the the things that they have to go through, and you know, experiencing the things that they've experienced with COVID and with the surge of the social media and all those things. Obviously, the issues have come up, 
Um, but they inspire me because they are so resilient. Hmm. Our kids are so resilient despite whatever it is that is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that motivates me to keep going and to keep you know working to be that person that maybe that that kid that particular kid needs. Um, and then I don't know. I feel like Leanna motivates me. Hmm. I mean, gosh, you know her her story. Yeah. Um, and you know I've done everything you know, that I feel like I can do as somebody that has not known her for a long amount of time. But she she's our district lead in the counseling department. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a phenomenal person. Mm-hmm. She's an incredible counselor. She is an, a wonderful mother. And I really look up to her. Like to me, um, you know, she's kind of like the gold standard for school counselors. Mm. And you know, all all, all credit um, to her because she's she's fantastic. And like you know, the staff too. Yeah, they they motivate me to be better too. I think the uh, I would encourage our listeners if they have a moment to go back and listen to Leanna's story. And I'll make sure I can't remember which episode it might be forty six maybe. Um, but it is, um, it shook me. Mm-hmm. It shook me. And uh, yeah, I have nothing but respect for her and the resiliency that she has modeled for her daughter and for her kids. It's, uh, it is, and, and for our district. I mean, mm-hmm. she, is, she probably doesn't realize how much of a source of inspiration that she, she is and that her story has been. I get people who reach out to me and tell me that that, that episode just, had a huge impact on them. So I encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to it, to check it out. And I'll be sure to to um, tag it in the show notes. Um, you know, it's just, it's really neat to hear you talk about your kids' resiliency. As you were talking, I was reminded um, of, of a project that Mrs. Hedrick does in her, her English class where she has her kids read um, the things they carried. And this goes back a few years ago. And I think a lot of times we see it, we, we look at kids and we make these snap judgments like, oh, well, that kid's got it all together. And that kid, okay, well, maybe they're struggling or they have a reason to have an issue. They don't have a reason. Mm-hmm. And when my kids, they were 10th graders, they asked me to read one of their papers. I started reading them. And they were, they took the story from the book and then they applied it to their lives and, and wrote about the things inside that they're carrying that that have hurt them or defined them or have, have been a struggle. And I like literally wept because I, I didn't realize how much our kids are caring. No matter what their socioeconomic status mm-hmm. may be, they are demonstrating resiliency on a, on a daily basis. And that has been another lesson that has really hit me hard in my new role. You know, we, we've talked before on the podcast and, and we'll continue to talk about how You've got behavior, you know, the behavior is above the waterline. It's the iceberg analogy, but there's so much below it Mm -hmm. that affects that behavior. And when you start to hear about all of that, um, so many of my kids, I'm just like, man, you're here. I don't know if I would be here if I went through everything that you're going through. 100%. You know, and so these kids, man, every single day they inspire me. Every day. Yeah. So it's, it's the beauty of our craft, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean... We've we've experienced some some pretty severe tragedies you know, over at the elementary this year. Yeah, um, it's been it's been a rough year. You know, hmm. uh, we we lost uh, a first grade student, um, and then 
you know, if we, we had a community member that had passed mm-hmm. away, um, you know, tragically, and and it's been it's been hard. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, we set up some like grief counseling resources. You know, your wonderful ladies up here at the high school. They are incredible. Came, came down um, and and kind of manned that room to support us. And thank God again, we had Kate and Brandon, our interns. Um, unfortunately, they had to experience that as an intern. Right. Um, but uh, the three girls uh, up here at the high school said that they carried themselves fantastically. They did really great stuff with the kids. Yeah. And that was so early into the school year. You know, they were still trying to figure out their counseling identity at that point, And they, we were just winging it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, life at the elementary school isn't isn't always you know rainbows like some people may think. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, Talmadge is not uh, is not <clears throat> out of the way of, of anything that anywhere else is. You know, right. Tragedy strikes everywhere, and you know, poverty strikes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we get kids that have issues of all kinds. Yeah. Well, yeah, we are. No school is immune to those those issues mm-hmm. and. We are blessed. When I look at our school counselors from the high school on down, um, you all are just amazing human beings. You really are. And I, I watch our three incredible counselors do their thing on a daily basis. And I just, and I watch what my wife and her colleague do, you know, and it's just, it, it, it blows my mind how little credit that they get, how they deserve so much more. And yet you guys aren't doing it for that. You're doing it because you want to, you know, the, it's the calling. You want to impact lives. You want to change lives uh, for eternity. I, I absolutely love that. So um, I've got a few more minutes left, Josh. What what would you like the community to know about you? Is there anything else that you'd, uh, you've been, you've been pretty, pretty straightforward. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm pretty much an open book. Um, as long as I, get some initial comfort feeling from somebody um, I will tell them my life story if they if they want to know um, I don't I'm not holding any kind of big secrets I don't think um, <laughs> but I don't know I'm just a just a regular guy doing doing the work that I feel like I was meant to do um, it's something that I love and I feel like if I talk about how much I like it enough it will it will make me feel emotional, because yeah. um, that's how invested I am yeah. into it. I I'm super invested into you know being that person that someone can say, you know, 10, 20 years, thirty years down the road, Mr. Gambo really helped change my life because all he did was listen, and you know he was there. He was mm. a consistent person that was there for me. Wow. Well, Josh, I got to tell you, man, you are awesome and i am definitely way more in love with you now than i was at the beginning <laughs> i know that sounds kind of creepy no, but it dude listen your passion your passion for our calling um I, i'm so thankful that you're sharing that i'm so thankful that our listeners get to kind of sense a little bit about your heart and where you're coming from and to know that our young people are surrounded by such a powerful group of school counselors down there who who just love kids, man. It is, uh, it is, it, it's just assuring. And, um, and I'm very thankful for what you, uh, you do. And uh, very thankful that you took time after a busy day and a long practice 
to come in here and share your story. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, been a pleasure. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode as much as I have. Hey, do me a favor. Share this story out. Share Josh's story. I mean, people are going to be inspired by it. They're going to be motivated by it to hear this young man and hear his passion for his calling and his passion to change lives. So please share it out. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Between Two Blue Devils. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And also feel free to follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. Horner the Teacher or on Twitter at THS Mr. Underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time, go Blue Devils.